Hello, hello everybody. I hope you are having a good day, a good night, and welcome to another episode of Clancy Pasta. The first story of the night is called After That Night, I Wish We Didn't Put Security Cameras Outside, written by Isabella Borg, 2001. The second story is called Can You Hear That by Davy Poof. And the third and final story is called They Wore Glass Faces by The Mascura. So, I hope you all enjoy this collection of creepy tales. If uh, you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it, I would really appreciate it if you would check out the Patreon link in the description. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support this channel while also getting ad-free episodes. And uh, for $5 a month, I'll be doing a vocal shout-out of uh, all of my $5 and up patrons once a month. I've already been doing that on the video version, but uh, starting this month, I'll also be doing that for the audio podcast version as well. So, if you'd like to support the channel... I'd really appreciate it. I also have an ExpressVPN affiliate link, uh, which is just expressvpn.com slash clancypasta in the description. You can use that link to get a nice discount on ExpressVPN. Uh, it's a great service. I use it. Uh, I, I've only heard good things about it, honestly. And when you use my link to uh, get a subscription, it helps me out a lot. So just wanted to mention that real quick. And so without further ado... I hope you all enjoy the first story of the night. After that night, I wish we didn't put security cameras outside. Written by Isabella Borg, 2001. I know I shouldn't have looked at the camera footage from outside my home that I should have just gone about my day just as I always have. I should have just accepted the idea of bugs or random animals triggering the lights outside. Maybe then I'd be able to sleep easier at night, and it wouldn't smile at me the way it does. It was midsummer, and it was about the second time our cars had been broken into. My parents, of course, weren't happy with the invasion of privacy, and neither was I. Though the robber never seemed to steal anything, they just left our vehicles a total disaster. But nonetheless, it was a bit unsettling to have some random stranger rummaging around them. That's the moment they chose to install our two security cameras outside the house. They made sure our cars were all in view in case another intruder broke in. Then we would be able to look back in the footage and show police if it ever happened again. After a few days had passed, I started to be filled with the overwhelming temptation to check back on the camera footage from past nights. Maybe it would catch whatever was constantly triggering our motion lights outside. Whatever it was that we never caught when we randomly chose to check outside. Which was pretty rare, as we simply accepted the idea that it was nature going about its business. So we did the same. All I knew was how uncomfortable I felt deep down every time I saw the flicker of the lights coming on outside late at night. I had no reason to, but I felt the slightest bit afraid, almost as if I already knew what was out there. But then again, I really didn't. It was a churning feeling within my gut that ebbed me very gently. My parents never seemed to be quite as worked up or curious as me about the reason for the lights being triggered. Maybe I was just anxious at heart, as much as I was curious. Or maybe it wanted just me to know it was there. My mother had always told me the worn-out phrase of, Curiosity killed the cat, 
but I was always naturally a very curious cat. I wanted to know everything and anything I could, and was always a bit nosy, to be honest. And that's exactly what led me to the security camera footage that evening. An evening I'll never forget, no matter how hard I try to. Our cameras weren't on our TV 24-7 like they would be in something like a security room. In order to view it, you had to switch from our cable TV to our HDMI 2 with the remote. From there you could see all the footage saved up to two weeks. Anytime it caught something moving within the frame, it saved the video. I instantly clicked on a saved video from the night before, expecting to see possibly a cute raccoon or a stray cat roaming around. Everything on the camera looked completely normal. Because it was dark out, the camera was in night vision mode, which meant it showed no color, just shades of black, gray, and white. Our three cars were in view from all two cameras aimed towards the driveway, and person or animal could be seen wandering around. That is, until something caught my eye from the side of the neighbor's yard, right next to our driveway. It was dark and hard to make out since the sensor lights hadn't turned on yet, but it seemed like a large, lanky person on all fours. The way they crouched down was almost uncomfortable to look at. If it was a real person, they would have been breaking their arms and legs as they curved inwards. The moment its eyes shot towards the camera, I felt my heart fall into the pit of my stomach. The footage was from the night before, and yet I had felt like it was looking at me as if it was boring its glowing eyes into my soul, searching without my permission. It finally began to move after a couple moments. Its movements were slow and drawled out at points. The center of its body seemed to crouch closer to the ground as it moved, circling its head to scan its surroundings in an unsettling manner, almost like a mix between a snake and a bobblehead, no matter how odd it may sound. The moment one of its arms made contact with the pavement of our driveway, that's when the sensor lights triggered. The sudden brightness was enough to cause me to shut my eyes tightly, as it filled the entire screen with pure white before it adjusted. Once the camera had adjusted to the intense light as well as my own eyes, the sight before me could have sent me into a full-blown panic attack if it wasn't a recording from the night before. It was now somehow attached to the side of the garage, close enough to one of the two cameras for its entire face to fill the frame. Its eyes were bright and bloodshot as it continued to stare at the electronic device. The feeling of its eyes lingering on me somehow still filled me, causing me to check behind me now and then. It had no nose, just smooth, sickly, greasy white skin that continued all along its head. The pitch black mouth was what really scared me for some reason. It hardly really looked like a mouth, as it was almost a horrible abyss or a black hole you wouldn't want to get caught inside of. Its grotesque whitish skin even continued on past its face, acting as teeth in some way. Its jagged, sharp, leathery looking teeth that sent horrific chills up my spine. As I turned to make another quick glance behind me, just in case, the sound of something tapping against glass came from the television. The moment I turned back around, the camera was totally black. That is, until I saw its long, darkened finger slowly pull away from the lens. 
I didn't want to think it, but I almost knew the dark stuff splattered against its skin was blood. I didn't want to think about whether it was new or old. Once its skinny finger had fully left the frame, it revealed its disgusting black mass of a mouth pulling up into a grin, if I could even call it that. The intention within its facial gesture was one that you'd see a psychotic serial killer pull, one that you'd see right before you die. A thundering thud abruptly sounded behind me, causing me to let out a breathy scream as I spun around, losing my footing and tumbling onto the floor below. I didn't think you were so afraid of large parcels, my dad said to me in a mocking manner. The moment I stood back up enough to look back at the video, it was gone, and the video was back to being live somehow, the joyful sun radiating against the pavement and cars. I don't know what the hell I saw in our security cameras recording that day, and I think I'm better off that way. Sometimes when I walk downstairs in the middle of the night, I go to the security camera's television and check for just a moment. And just like it knows I'll be looking, it's there every time, still smiling at me like it did in the recording. I don't think anything could possibly happen since we seem to have been living in harmony for years without even knowing it, but now that it knows that I've seen it, I'm scared that I'll somehow end up being the newest blood painted against its long fingers. Can you hear that? Written by Davy Poof. I do not know how to start this. I am not sure why I am even writing about it. Maybe writing about what happened to me will provide some sort of relief that talking didn't. Writing is easier and to whoever is reading or seeing this, I hope that you take something away with you after you have finished. A warning. Never ignore the silent noises. I used to live in a beige-colored council house, although the beige paint job had faded over the years, leaving the house to look oddly multicolored. It had ugly yellow windows and a pathetically small front garden. The grass had died, and the ground was hard as rock. Cracked stone steps led to the front door, which looked like it had been smashed down by the police multiple times to stop the previous owner's drug deals or something even more illegal. All of the walls inside the house had either fist-sized holes in or mysterious stains, ranging from brown, red, white, and so on. Guessing what caused these stains was something I always enjoyed. Our kitchen was smaller than the front garden, it was confusingly tiny. I imagine the non-existent back garden would have been around the same size. The kitchen always smelled burnt, even after being cleaned. The smell was always noticeable, sometimes noticeable as soon as you enter the house. The smell would linger on your clothes, which caused multiple trips to the laundry shop on the corner of the street. For some reason, the railing was missing from the creaky wooden stairs, which made rushing up and down them very dangerous. We, my mother and I, didn't own much furniture when we moved, 
so we kept a lot of what was left behind in the house. We only replaced the blood-stained furniture or whatever we thought had come into contact with multiple STDs, like the sad, pale, gray, fluffy cushion which lived in the middle of the dining room sofa. My room was not terrible. Half of the wallpaper was a horrendous green, and the other half black. My bedroom window was at the side of the house, and it looked directly into another window, which belonged to our neighbor. My room's light did not have a lampshade, and would regularly overheat and blow the fuse box downstairs, which was a pain. Even though the house was awful, my mom looked at it with hope. She wanted to start fresh, forget about my deadbeat of a dad, and start again. He isn't relevant to what I'm writing, but I'll explain. He left and took a lot of my mother's savings. She was heartbroken and distraught. The money was for their wedding. Anyway, everything was fine for two weeks after we moved in. We stripped some of the walls, repainted some rooms, hoovered and scrubbed every inch until it finally started to look less like a crack house. We ordered takeaway almost every night because my mom couldn't figure out the oven, which looked like it traveled through time from the 1940s. We even got rid of the disgusting pickle green wallpaper from my room and replaced it with black. Finally, the house started to look and feel like a home. After two weeks of living there, my mom finally started her new job as a cleaner in this office building near to our house. We would work on the house in the morning, then order food, then she would go to work in the evening and come home around midnight, which meant I was left alone in the house for a couple hours every night, either reading or playing on my console. My mom's first shift was when I heard it. Half asleep, walking up the stairs, I heard a tap, like the slightest movement of a finger or a match falling off a shelf, something minimal like that, a sound that lacked any effort a sound my ears were uninterested in. As soon as I heard it, I had forgotten it. Then, after completing two more steps of the stairs, I heard the tap again. However, this time the sound wasn't effortless. The tap was more dominant, like the nail of a finger striking a wooden table. I turned around and looked to the bottom of the stairs, of which I was halfway up. Hearing the louder, aggressive tap made me remember the quieter one. I stood on the stairs silently, focused on trying to hear the tap again. My eyes darted around the hallway as I wondered if there was any noise at all, or if I had just imagined it. I turned back around and made my way up the remaining few steps. When I got to the top of the stairs, a loud bang came from inside my room and my whole body twisted to face the noise. The door to my room was only slightly open, restricting view of whatever produced the noise. Slowly and delicately stepping forward, I moved to the end of the upstairs hallway, trying to catch a glimpse of my room without getting too close. I waited and watched, only haltering the observation for blinking. Time passed and no more noise had come from my room or from the rest of the house. The silence felt like I was being taunted. I was being made fun of. Finally, I walked into my room, pushing the door open as wide as it could go. There was nothing. It was just my room. Nothing had been moved. Nothing fell or broke. Nothing. 
I sat on my bed and wondered why I was being so stupid and why I had worked myself up. I was so frightened and I felt like such an idiot. I moved my glance from the floor to my window and I stared. What was I looking at? There was something outside the window, although I realized it wasn't outside my window. It was in the neighbor's house. Whatever room I was looking into was pitch black, yet something was standing there. For hours it felt like I was looking into the neighbor's window, trying to figure out what was in that room. The front door suddenly slammed shut, and I screamed, which made my mother scream too, who had just come home from her night shift at the office. As the days of living at the house continued, every now and then I would hear a tap. After asking my mother about the taps, I would always get the same answer, that she hadn't heard any of these taps and that I was just hearing things. The taps continued every day, still without my mom's acknowledgement of them. A month we lived at the house, and exactly four weeks after moving in, the taps intensified. I tried to convince myself that I was either just hearing things, like my mother had been telling me, or it was just the council house, slowly falling apart from old age. I eagerly wanted a solution to stop the tapping, the banging, the noises that only I could hear. The taps were affecting me mentally and physically. I wouldn't eat properly, since a sudden tap on the kitchen wall demolished my appetite. Sleeping was impossible. At night, my ears would try and seek out the taps, like I was trying to convince myself I wasn't crazy. Getting clean was out of the question. Whenever I entered the shower and stripped naked, I heard taps on the bathroom door, taps coming from the drain in the bathtub, taps outside the opaque bathroom window. The taps followed me everywhere. They were unescapable. Like usual, my mother left for her night shift at the office, leaving me at home. Weirdly, on that day, I hadn't heard any taps, any bangs, any noise I thought to be ominous, nothing. So, now regrettably, I was hopeful for once. Hoping that finally the silent noises had stopped, I left my room to go downstairs and get a glass of water. Normally I would try and stay in my room when my mom was at work, prepping food and water beforehand and only leaving to use the bathroom. I twisted the rusty kitchen tap and water quickly rushed out, filling my chipped glass. Trying to ignore the kitchen smell, I started making my way back up the stairs. Tap. I froze, and my whole body tensed. Staying perfectly still, except for the glass of water trembling in my hand, I listened intently. I thought that maybe my brain was just repeating what had happened before, like some sort of deja vu. In my mind, I was thinking of every possible cause of that tap, hoping and praying that I wouldn't hear another. A few seconds of silence passed by. The only noise I could hear was my heart pounding out of my chest. Another couple quiet seconds passed by. Not wanting to let my guard down, I waited. Tap. Each hair on my body erected, and my breathing intensified. The sound had come from the bottom of the stairs, directly behind me. My neck was so stiff, I had to force it to move. At this point, I had lost most of the water from my glass due to uncontrollable shivers passing through my body. 
Breath was impossible to find, like my lungs were being squeezed. Finally, I rotated enough so I could see the downstairs hallway and the start of the stairs. I looked into the kitchen, stared at the living room, moved my eyes around the hallway multiple times, and locked my glance at the bottom of the stairs. The first wooden panel on the stairway looked dislodged, pushed out a little, moved ever so slightly, but not unnoticeable. Confused, I cautiously approached the bottom step, putting the not-so-full glass of water down just in preparation. Looking into the space created by the askew step, I sunk into myself with fear. I couldn't scream. I was too terrified to even move, never mind making noise. Four long, burnt black fingers with long, worn, dagger-like nails stretched out of the crack. The smallest finger tapped. The ring finger tapped. The middle finger tapped. The index finger tapped. In disbelief, I stared at the fingers, shocked and mortified. Silence crept into the house like a disease. Disgusted and sickened, I analyzed the fingers. I was in complete shock. All of a sudden, the four revolting fingers retracted into the staircase, and loud bangs traveled up in, like the fingers had formed a fist and were punching their way up the stairs. The smashing filled my eardrums, becoming almost deafening. I ran up the stairs trying to escape the ear-splitting banging. However, the sounds traveled all around the house, making it an impossible task. I slammed my bedroom door shut, and the thundering noise halted. The only sounds that remained were my aspirated, trembling voice and a strange, quiet scratching. Jumping onto my bed, the scratching became louder, like a steel nail rubbing against glass. I looked at the floor of my bedroom, and then looked outside my window and into the neighbor's house. For the first time that night, I was able to produce a sound, a heartfelt scream that vibrated down the street. Tears poured down my face as I realized what was in that pitch-black room. The burnt, charred hand was pushing against the neighbor's window. Wrapped around the burnt hand was hair, light brown hair that stood out like a sore thumb. Then I noticed what the hair was connected to. My mother's decapitated head slowly swayed back and forth in a hypnotizing way. Her expression was absolute fear, her eyes lifeless and her mouth wide open. The hand moved her head away from the window, back into the darkness. Then the hand returned to the window and simply tapped, 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 and tapped. I ran out of that house as fast as I could. No one believed me when I tried to explain what happened. The police said the death of my mother was a mystery, but I know what happened. And now, so do you. Never ignore the silent noises. They Wore Glass Faces Written by The Mascura
I was invited to my high school's 20th reunion. At first, I thought it was some kind of macabre joke. It seemed like a lot of effort to go through for a mere prank, though. The invitation was good, heavy cardstock, the elegant calligraphy done up in metallic ink. That got me thinking that maybe it was more of a memorial, something for the families and survivors. It was being held at the former location of the school, which was a lovely botanical garden now. That seemed classy. Sweet. The notion at the bottom specified that it was a black tie event, which only reinforced my misconception. I decided to go. It was being held in the early afternoon, so I had to leave work a little early. But when I explained what it was for, my boss didn't have any issue letting me go. Be careful, though. He warned as I grabbed my sweater and headed home to change. Call someone when you get there. He was a nice guy. He worried about his employees, especially with the rash of disappearances in town. Everyone knew someone who knew someone who had vanished. Police were stumped. Not because they were small town and idiotic, but because there seemed not to be any evidence to go on. Nothing. No blood. No bodies. No witnesses. Honestly, it was the last thing on my mind, however. It was broad daylight and a beautiful autumn day. The sunlight came through the trees, a heady amber honey color. The birds were singing, and I could smell the perfume of the flowers the minute I stepped out of the car. It was a perfect day for a memorial. I thought it was a little odd when I didn't see any other cars in the parking lot, but I figured I must have parked on the wrong side of the building. Maybe they'd all come in the back way? Seemed reasonable, given that the Arboretum was technically closed. I found the door unlocked and a chalkboard sign inside, welcoming everyone to the reunion in elegant calligraphy. Reunion, it said. I remember that specifically. Class of 2000. I could hear laughter and soft music coming from a pair of doors down the hallway and followed them whispering on the thin, stiff carpet. The building smelled of slightly stale perfume and old wine in opposition to the fresh, floral scent outside. The yellowish light of the hallway painted the doors an unhealthy color, akin to mozzarella cheese. For some reason I expected them to be soft when I touched them, squishy and damp, almost, but they were cool and solid when I pressed my palms against them and swung inward quietly to reveal the crisp, vibrant colors of the greenhouse on the other side. Huge lilies pointed their curling petals toward the sky. Irises and freesia crunched up together along the walkways. There was a neat brick path leading into a clearing near the center, where a fountain burbled pleasantly. I caught a glimpse of people down there and stepped into the room, letting the door swing shut behind me. Burns kept me from getting a good look until I was nearly on top of them. The best I got were hints of gowns and crisp suits and the occasional glass of punch. Everyone sounded so happy, though. It seemed a little macabre to be celebrating at a memorial, but I couldn't blame people for being so happy to see each other again. All those happy, charitable thoughts fell right out of my head when I reached the end of the path and saw them all. Confusion replaced them, and then, eventually, horror. They all had glass faces, every one of them. 
the woman in the pink cocktail dress standing next to the pale purple shirt. The three girls gather next to the fountain holding glasses of punch. The men in the corner. They had normal features. Eyes, a nose, a mouth. But carved out the same pale green glass champagne bottles came in. All of them looked like they were wearing masks. Except there was nothing behind them. Well, not nothing, exactly. There was dirt. Thick, dark dirt and small withered flowers, just the one in each of them, standing like burnt filaments and light bulbs, and yet they were still talking, laughing. Their mouths weren't moving, but I heard their voices clear as day, and they were lifting glasses to their lips as if they could taste the punch in them. A feeling of intense horror washed over me the moment I recognized the girls near the fountain. The glass had thrown me off, but after the initial shock, it was earth-shattering. Lindsay, Rebecca, and April. Three best friends. Absolutely inseparable in life. So close, their families had opted for joint funerals. My hand jumped to my stomach. For an instant, I thought I was going to be ill, or pass out, or both. Every breath I took rattled in my throat, which felt hot and tight. My eyes watered, flipping from one face to the next and recognizing every one of them. Jordan, one of the guys lifted a hand in greeting. Hey, we didn't think you'd make it to this one. I knew him too, Noah, my first boyfriend. You're a little early, aren't you? He asked, lowering the glass of punch in his sickeningly normal hand. Jordan? Several more voices questioned. Heads turned in my direction, the light gleaming off and through their glass skulls. They had hair. Normal, regular hair. I bit my lip to choke down a sob. The flower, someone hissed off to the side. I knew that voice too. All the hair on my body stood on end. The way the person gurgled. They'd always done that. and was an affectation. They didn't have to gurgle. They did it deliberately because they knew it bothered people. The hand on my stomach curled into a fist. I didn't want to look, but I did. There he was, dressed in a frayed hoodie and jeans with holes in the knees. His face was glass too, but dirty and cracked. I could barely see the thing inside of it. It looked like a briar brush, all thorny, twisted vines. Dustin. It didn't seem right to see him here, with all of his victims. He belonged, well, in hell. If anyone deserved it, it was Dustin. Sick son of a bitch had gotten what he deserved. I heard his parents hadn't even claimed his remains. As far as I knew, they'd left his ashes in that box, probably sitting in the back of a coroner's office or dumped with all of the other unwanteds. You're alive. He came from the back, where the ferns were thickest, and circled around the fountain. I backed away instinctively. The others shrunk away as well, huddling together, trying to hide. I tasted something thick and sour in the back of my throat tasted like copper. I can fix that easy enough. 
A few petals came down off of one of the flowering trees. They passed between us, and for a moment, they were embers. His glassy eyes caught the light and held it, burning feverishly, bright. I ran. My former classmates began to shriek and sob. I lost sight of them through the ferns and foliage, sprinting in a dead panic back to the door I'd come from. But they were locked when I arrived, and had transformed. I recognized the old cafeteria doors, but not until I'd already tried to grab them. They were so hot that I burned my hands immediately. I ripped them off and stumbled back, shouting involuntarily, just in time. Flames shot up beyond the narrow windows. The bottom of the doors were turning black and warping outward. This isn't real, this isn't real, this isn't real. Some part of me gibbered in the back of my mind. This couldn't be happening. Soot and ash started to fall from the ceiling. I choked on the smoke and threw myself to the ground. My hands flashed with searing agony every time they touched the rough bricks, but I was in full survival mode. I crawled into the foliage, opting for the shortest route to the glass walls. I was picturing finding a fire escape, but what I found was a brick near the base of the wall where the glass was charring and splintering. I picked it up in my blistered, bleeding hands and swung onto my knees. Melted sneakers streaked between us. I looked up into the hateful, burning gaze of the worst mass murderer my state had ever known and knew I was doomed. My lungs were already aching. Darkness was creeping in. Hopeless despair overwhelmed me. There was nothing I could do, no hope of escape. I threw the brick anyway. My arm wound back of its own accord, lashing out without my direct input. The brick flew through the air and smashed directly into Dustin's face with an ear-shattering pop, and then a huge, vacuumous force inhaled me. I was sucked out, as helpless as a victim of a riptide, dragged through the crater and the wall, and tossed limply into the sunlight and soft grass. At first, I was too dazed to move. My lungs ached and my hands were still screaming, and then I just laid there and cried until my tears came away clear again instead of dingy gray. A passing jogger saw me there and called the cops. I ended up in the hospital for smoke inhalation and third-degree burns. I told them everything I knew, everything I'd seen, but I don't know whether or not they believed me. I got to go home a week later with a mostly clean bill of health, nothing that won't heal eventually. But still, I wonder, how many people got their own invitations? Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>